It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, welcome to another edition of Terry's Talking, our weekly podcast. And you know what? Case Keenum says you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com with a man who is always ready to do a podcast. Terry Pluto. How are you doing, Terry? That's how you hang around like Case and I. I just wish I was getting $6 million to be wait, ready and waiting for this podcast. How about that? $6 million. Not too bad. Well, you are on a contract here. Maybe this is the year we can get you up to that $6 million a year range. Well, this is an interesting thing is one of the um, requests that Stefanski had when he took the job was for Case Keenum or a quarterback like Keenum because he went through that year in 2017 where they started with Teddy Bridgewater, who then blew his knee out. Um, with nobody around them, even in training camp, they had Sam Bradford for two games uh, and then he got hurt. And then Keenum was their number three quarterback way back when. And that's when Keenum went 11 and three. I, I think most people may not know that Keenum was the number three quarterback that year. And that could be also why the Browns brought in Mullins. Not that he's great, but he has started some games in a system very similar to what Stefanski plays. So uh, it might have been the back of the young coach's mind back then that um, I better have some insurance at that position because I've seen calamity once. Yeah. So let's get into this a little bit. I, I, um, the news of the day today, Wednesday, we're taping this and everybody's wondering, is Baker Mayfield going to play Thursday against the Broncos or not? And today we find out that uh, they've decided to go with Case Keenum tomorrow night. And you've kind of been advocating for that a little bit and thinking that it should happen. Um, what was your take when it did happen and you, you still think it's the right move? Of course. I mean, when you saw him after the game in his arms and his sling and, you know, he could just tell he was beat up uh, and they're on a short week, it made no sense to try and play him. And I don't know, half tear, full tear, all the stuff that's come out since the fact is he hasn't been himself um, in that whole game on Sunday, just about even before he was hurt. And part of the reason sometimes a guy fumbles and that is just, you know, he's not physically able to hang on to things. So uh, when you really ask who gives you a better chance to win, when you have a quarterback like Keenum, Keenum has started 62 games. He's 27 and 35 is his career record. Uh, I mean, you look at uh, a couple of things there, like, uh, you know, even in 2018, when Denver wasn't particularly good, he was their starting quarterback. He went six and 10. Uh, another year with the Rams, I'm looking, he was four and five. 
you know, he was 11 and three that is the rough year he had. And that was 2019, uh, in Washington. That was the year they fired coaches and everything else. He was one and seven, uh, but you're not putting Garrett Gilbert in there. You're not putting Cody Kessler. You're not putting somebody in there like where the guy hasn't been around the block. I believe Keenum or Nick Foles are the highest paid backups in the NFL. I believe you're right. Yep. And we'll see if he earns it tomorrow night. So um, it's an interesting thing. I'm really curious to see what the Browns offense looks like tomorrow Mm -hmm. night, because we've all heard the discussions about Baker Mayfield the last couple of weeks. He's holding the ball too long. He shouldn't be running so much. And if we know anything about Case Keenum, it's number one, he's been around. Number two, he knows this offense inside and out. Number three, he prepares. And I wonder if we're going to see a closer resemblance tomorrow night to how the offense should look. I mean, the ball coming out quickly short passes, bootlegs, the, all the stuff that we saw last year out of Baker Mayfield. Do you think we're going to see more of what the Stefanski offense should look like tomorrow night, or do you think it, it, it'll be a little bit off still because of the tackle situation and everything? Well, because of the tackle situation, it, it ought to be everything you just described, David. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you don't want to hold the ball, um, and you want to – I heard there's a shot one of the tackles may play, but I wasn't my source wasn't sure which one. So who knows? But they're going to have problems with with, with that. And you know, Dearness John, uh, Johnson's going to play probably Demetric Felton some in the in the backfield. They have tight ends. You have running backs, uh, and I think if the quarterback is running the offense quickly, you can score some points. Here's the big deal. The defense, you go back to that whole deal of the Denver's not scored more than 27 points in a game. They put right. 28 or more on the Browns. I'm serious. I would be really looking at Joe Woods. To, would, do you really want to come back with him after this 10-day break? If they put 28 or 30 on the Browns and you see more blown coverages, you know how many times are we going to have to watch that? Well, let's talk about that for a second. So I know you say you're not an X's and O's guy, but the fact anybody who knows anything about football, we see big name receivers, and you've written this, getting open behind the Browns defense. And anybody who's ever watched a peewee football game knows that the number one thing you don't want to do is let somebody score deep. But the Browns have let it happen two weeks in a row. Is is that the biggest concern you have in, in, in terms of what they need to do in terms of fixing this or just something else? Oh, no, it's that. I was talking to somebody who kind of studies analytics and that, and they said the front four has done a pretty good job this year, um, both in terms of pressures on quarterbacks. While there hasn't been a ton of sacks, um, they've gotten a fair amount of pressure. He said, remember, they've played, you know, some quarterbacks that are very difficult to sack, whether you're talking about Tyrod Taylor um, and, you know, Mahomes, and then you just saw uh, Kyler Murray. These guys, you know, move pretty well. Actually, Fields is difficult to sack, but they did sack him in his first game. So, and, and the Browns, the last I looked, ranked like fifth or sixth against defending the run. So it isn't as if they're running through the Browns all over the place. And so uh, you've Which got we have to seen in the past as well. That. In the past. So, <laughs> so you go, all right, the pass rush has been at least above average. The run defense has been good, but you don't defend the pass. And Mike and David, when you look at these things, I mean, Michael Williams and DeAndre Hopkins is not hard to say. We got to make sure we target those guys. I get it once in a while, you know, a second string tight end or a 
fullback or somebody H-back leaks out there and he's wide open because you can't believe he's that far down the field. It's just a strange thing that happens. But the star receivers? No, 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 no. There's just no excuse. And you know, it was funny. I was told before last week's game they were going to simplify the coverages or whatever. It looked like the same garbage as before. <laughs> yeah. How's that? It did. No, it did. It did. So the, I, I don't know why I keep thinking of um... – days of our lives. What, what, what was the old beginning of that show? Like the sands through the hourglass yeah, so days yeah. of our lives. Right. But there's this really interesting dynamic that's going on right now between, and I'm sure the players and coaches are thinking about this too, of like, all right, the season's going through the hourglass. It's ticking. Yes. Do we rest these guys for a week and a half, maybe get them through, you know, maybe case Keenum comes back for the Steelers game. Maybe you let Jedrick Wills Jr. and Jack Conklin rest through the Steelers game so that they can get fully healthy for this big final push into November and December? Or do you just try and gut it out and take it week by week? I'm really interested by that. All right, the season's ticking along. Every game is crucial. It could, it's going to matter at the end versus do you rest guys now to make them healthy for the big push? Where do you stand on that whole thing? In terms well, I stand of- on resting a whole bunch of people tomorrow night mm-hmm. with the aim of not Baker necessarily, but the aim of getting these guys back for the Steelers. I know right now they're trying to look at Jarvis's situation, you know, a strained, um, uh, and, uh, that's not the ASCL, it's MCL. A strained MCL is between three and five weeks. He's right on the edge of the three-week thing. He wants to play, but do you do that? Because uh, we're so used to it's, – it's funny, though. This year, think about it. The two guys that are seemingly indestructible, Kareem Hunt, and Jarvis both got hurt. I mean, these are the guys. Remember, Hunt said he never even had to leave a game because of an injury. Right. So, you know, you've lost them. And now Hunt Hunt's on the table. You know, Chubb. I, I think they ruled him out. So that's fine. You go with the earnest. Uh, and I would, if I had to leave, sit the two tackles, and I had to sit uh, the receivers, I would just do it. I know it's hard. You might end up three and four. But I want remember you got ten games, not nine left. I want to arm everything starting for that Steelers game, almost like a second season. So that's what the one you're targeting is the Steelers game. You think that's kind of a good middle ground where you're resting guys, but you're still able to, you know, project out into those next ten games. Yeah, that's, you want to you want to win games in your division. I don't want to give away the Steelers game. If I'm going to have to give away a game, and I just don't want to run the risk of in this one, you know, if you. You run Jarvis out there and he's really not ready and he gets hurt again. I mean, I, I don't even want to think about that. Um, you know, Odell's there. Now there's all these things, you know, Odell's shoulders popping out or whatever's going on. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying Odell makes me tired. <laughs> That's all. That's all I'm saying. And by the way, I want to see, I, I've, I have adopted it. I have now have two receivers as clients because I put Dominic uh, Donovan people Jones in the same category as Richard Higgins. These are the guys. It's another catch the ball receiver. So he's bigger. Let's throw the ball to the catch the ball receivers. By the way, let's see if Keenum does that and, you know, work your tight ends. Yeah. And give guys a chance to make plays, get the ball, yeah, out let them, and let them out and see what, the they, 50, see what they can ball. do. Yep. Yeah. So we, we threw this question out on cleveland.com to, uh, to readers today. And I'm, I, obviously the Browns don't need to decide anything on Baker until next week after, yeah. after this game, but let's, you know, does Baker Mayfield deserve to start next week, regardless of what happens tomorrow night? Like, do you feel like, um, you know, if Case Keenum throws for 330 yards and they win, 
or if Case Keenum throws for 100. Like, should tomorrow night matter in terms of whether Baker plays next week? And if you're the Browns trying to make that decision. I'm going to be very careful about bringing him back regardless of what Case, Case did. Because I just, when you talk, start talking about a torn labrum, and it sounds bad. <laughs> it just does. And you start, you know, playing amateur doctor, you can get in there to like, sounds like they're going to amputate it or something. I mean, it sounds really bad parts of it. If you read it in others, it's not so bad. Um, so, but if you think about it uh, and you do have Keenum and you are paying him 6 million and he has started 62 games. Um, if I have to start him against the Steelers, the way I'm going to beat the Steelers, by the way, is play good football, not give up 35 points. I mean, this is, it, this is on the defense right now because it's more fun to talk about offense and coordinators and play calls and all that stuff, but it's on the defense and it's on Joe Woods. And he's, we're talking about all the guys hurt in offense. Who's hurt on defense besides JOK? This is the most healthy they've been. Yeah. Yeah. And they were pretty healthy last week and that was awful. So this is where, and I'm not a big beat on coordinator guy, but this has been embarrassing. Yeah. And it's it, like, I, I think you said a few minutes ago, if, if things go a little sideways for the defense tomorrow night, there are going to be some questions raised. So, all right. So I just want to make uh, by sure. The way, here's yeah. an interesting thing too. You know, when they played in the Ivy league, granted is the Ivy league, but nonetheless, uh, Stefanski was an all Ivy league cornerback. And I, I forgot whether Barry was a cornerback or safety. Not only was he all Ivy league, he had a tryout, I believe with the Eagles and with Washington. So these guys are defensive secondary guys at, you know, Ivy league football. When you're all Ivy league, you're a pretty good player, borderline division one at that level. They've got to be going crazy watching this. Yeah, it goes against everything you're taught. So, all right. So, just I want to make sure I'm straight. So, you think that the decision on Mayfield for the Steelers game should be: is he healthy enough to play? Yeah, and it should have nothing to do with tomorrow night. No, and and he should really make sure he's really come a long way. Don't listen to him. Look at all the the MRIs and all that stuff. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I think I think they should be independent decisions. It's like you you look at one checkbox: can he play? Yes or you know, it's you you check that box. It's like a flow chart. You just follow it out. So and the decision should be not made out of desperation. Make sure that he has made substantial progress on the healing in that shoulder. Right, right. And it was very interesting too. Just before we move on from the Browns, Baker basically said, "I'm the one who can decide whether I feel like I can play." And people were spinning that and saying that Baker was the one who's going to decide if he's going to play, which wasn't at all what he said. He basically said, no. "I'm the one who's going to decide if I feel like I can go out onto the field or not." Right. Um, I mean, yeah. you know, basically, he he's the one to say, "Well, I want to play, and I think I can," but um, you know, that's. It, it's really, as you said, it, it's a lot of this stuff is simply having to do with uh, what kind of condition is he in? Right. So we'll share, we'll have more answers uh, early next week, I think, and uh, 8.20 kickoff Thursday night, Browns and Broncos down at First Energy Stadium. Hey, Terry, let's jump right into the Cavaliers. I can't believe they're starting the season tonight. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get into some uh, Hey, Terry questions at the end, but um, Cavs open Wednesday night, which is tonight at Memphis. And then they've got two home games. They've got th- three really not back to back, but <laughs> pretty stacked up. Um, yeah, Friday, this is a ridiculous schedule. It is Friday totally night. Home opener. Dis- Let I'm me run through it real the- quick. Cause go, I know you ahead, have things yeah. you want to say about this. All right. So Wednesday <laughs> night at Memphis, mm-hmm. Friday night, home opener against Charlotte, Saturday night, they're home against Atlanta. And then 
a five-game road trip that goes out west and then it ends in Charlotte. And I know you wrote a column this week saying, like, boy, is the NBA trying to stick it to the Cavs here or what? Because, uh, granted, nobody says they should get a ton of respect. But just as being a member of the NBA, you deserve a better schedule than this to open your season. Because the schedule is not just they go out west. They go to Denver. They go to the two L.A. teams. They go to the Suns. These are all premier teams. And then they end in Charlotte. Of the eight of the first 11 are on the road, of the 10 teams they play, because they play Charlotte twice, only one of those didn't make the playoffs last year. That is Toronto. So it's not as if they stacked it with road games against the worst teams in the league. And this is anybody looking at this schedule. You know, we always joke about our artificial intelligence at the, at the, at the point here at Cleveland.com. Well, I, once in a while, all these artificial intelligence just kind of wonder, uh, did they just not have a good brain scan that day or something? <laughs> I mean, just really all, I mean, seriously, you look at the schedule and I'm sure the Cavs are screaming about it. Maybe it was even worse. Who knows? But it, it's just, think about it. the NBA wants a lot of their markets involved or they wouldn't have gone to this play in thing with 10 teams and all that. So you want, people in Cleveland or you want people in Indiana, not just your big markets. You want them at least engaged some of the regular season, but so much in the NBA, especially with your marginal teams is schedule dependent. Well, yeah. And with the Cavaliers being such a young team and you've written this, what is their average age? Yep. 21 and 21.7 years old. Yeah. I think for the right, yeah, for- you send a team like that on the road with this kind of a schedule and they're, they might come back from this changed like damaged psychologically in terms of what they think they can do this season. I mean, it's, it's a tough one and it's going to be something that they're going to have to weather and move on from if it doesn't go well. I mean, if they go three and eight, it wouldn't be the worst out of that, that 11 thing. And they always worry sometimes about you play a bunch of bad teams early, you get a false read on your team uh, thinking better than it is. The problem here is you can go out there and yet your team may have actually made some progress in that but you won't see it. You just won't see, you'll have to break it down individually and in that, but you won't see it collectively because they're going to get hammered in some of these games. They just are. Well, I, mean, I you, hope I'm wrong. No. Yeah, and we've read what Chris Fedor, uh, Cleveland.com beat writer has written this week with the players thinking we're tired. They're saying we're tired of being the team. That's the easy win every night. We want to be yeah. the team. That's going to be a tough out every night. And this is this is not conducive to keeping that attitude with this young team. So yeah, or even or the other thing could happen where they're playing pretty well, they just keep losing. Yeah, see that could happen too. Um, and I mean, I'm anxious. I'm I'm big on Mobley. Uh, Chris was the first one to really open my eyes to Mobley because uh, I like Jalen Suggs in the draft, but Mobley was like number two for me in that number. You know, there and I, you know, I'll admit I'm wrong. I'm the guy. I thought Jason. Uh, I had. Uh, uh, Rosen is my number one quarterback 2018 draft. It was Rosen, Josh Allen, and Baker. That was my my three in order. So, uh, you know, I've got my clunkers all over the place. But Mobley is really good. But it'll take a while for us to see uh, the full picture of him because my latest theory on the, no- the number of years since there's been so many one and dones, David, is um, – I almost throw out the first year for these kids because they just seem physically overwhelmed. We saw it with Garland. We even saw it with Sexton. You know, you didn't get a clue to where they were going with their career to their second year. And 
I think Mobley's got a chance to be better than that. Okoro, too. I mean, he had some nice moments, but this year we'll get more of an idea of what is going to happen with him. I have some doubts on the seven-foot lineup all the way across the front. We'll see how that goes. Because I looked it up. It was interesting. 72% of all NBA players are six foot eight or under. 72%? Yeah. That's way higher than I thought it would have been. It would be an interesting number of who's between like six four and six eight or six three and six eight. Seems like a yeah. ton. Of, I bet. What if that's like half the players in the league? Yeah, that that would be bad for the Cavs. <laughs> yeah, because they have nobody other than Coro. Oh, oh, I always forget him, probably for good reason. Chetty Osman. That's right. He's the one. He's the unicorn on the Cavs team. Hey, so yeah. I want. So Chris, uh, we were talking about Chris Fedor. He had some, he used some really interesting mathematics to kind of okay. project where he thought the Cavs would go this year in terms of an overall record. So um, I just want to run that, through that real quick, and then we'll get your maybe you can pick how many games you think they're going to win. But you mentioned the playoff format. Six teams get in for sure, and then there's a the next four playoff down to two. So it is ten teams. And Chris pointed out, you know, the Cavs. He, they won 22 games last year, 19, the two years before that. Um, and so he took last season's winning percentage, which I thought was interesting because it was a shortened season with the, 70, with the pandemic yeah. and a 556 winning percentage was needed to get into the, one of the, the solid postseason spots for the playoffs. And it took a 458 winning percentage to reach the play in tournament, which is probably where the neighborhood where the Cavs are going to be living. So if you take a 458 winning percentage, and you put that into an 82-game normal schedule, which we're going to have this year, that means that the Cavs would have to be around 36 wins to have a chance to get into the play-in tournament. So Chris is predicting 27 and 55. He says that they're still a year away from that, you know, 36-ish win range that it would take to get into the play-in. Where do you stand, Terry? Well, I picked them for 30 wins because I was doing my commentary with WK at shooting Amanda Rabinowitz and she pressed me. So I just sort of went 30 and 52, which is not exactly a sterling season. Um, but how about this? You know, since if you look at the two LeBron rebuild builds, the first one was four years. This one is now four years. Their winning percentage in there is 302. And that's why this garbage, again, a second garbage reference, but this thing of losing just so many games, David, has to stop. Um, and you would like to think that they could win 33 or 35, but I just don't see it. I'm probably high on 30 with them. I do wonder if the Cavs would be happy with 30 or if they wouldn't be. That would be an interesting thing as we as the season plays out to see where they stand and everything. So. Well, well, how about this? Would Dan Gilbert be happy with 28 or 30? Yeah, great question. Great question. We you probably won't see Dan until toward the end of the season, if at all. No, but, um, if at all. But, yeah. you know, he's still watching the games. He's still sending out a lot of emails. Mm -hmm. And he's still probably pretty sick of losing because this will be year number five for Kobe Altman, which, by the way, is the longest any GM lasted. I believe Danny Ferry went five years, too. Yeah, we know how Dan... We know Dan's history with general managers in terms of keeping yeah. them around. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Again, just to recap, Cavs open tonight at Memphis at eight. Then their Friday home against Charlotte at seven and Saturday home against Atlanta at six. It's hard to believe NBA season is here. Hey, Terry, let's take a quick break and we'll come back. Uh, we can talk about this week's faith column. And we've got some great uh, Hey, Terry questions from readers this week. And we will get into those. Sound good? Yes, indeed. All right. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. Hey, we're back on Terry's talk, and this is David Campbell. 
sports manager at cleveland.com here with Terry Pluto. Terry, your faith column this week is pretty interesting in the fact that it kind of, I think it resonates with a lot of people who are dealing, you know, maybe in middle age and their parents, um, there, there comes a day when you start, you realize your parents are getting old and you kind of write about that and how it changes the way you look at the world. Um, do you want to talk a minute about that? I was just reading a, once in a while when I kind of read something different, I read short stories by different uh, novelists I like. And I had this collection from Joyce Carol Oates and I was looking through it and, and she just had a character was talking about, it seemed like, um, and this person's middle age, that seemed like you know, my parents turned elderly and it happened overnight. And I look at them and I have no idea what to do. I'm paraphrasing it. So I put that quote up on my Facebook page and said, any, I kind of want to write a column on that because I felt that way. Well, one was when my dad had his stroke. It just happened. And then the other was uh, my mother-in-law, all of a sudden, when she got to her late 80s and her COPD got bad and that, it was like, wow, you know, that really seemed to hit her. And just ask people for different reactions and kind of hot, and where you do feel overwhelmed. I mean, one of the comments that really struck me is a lady wrote me, she goes, I cannot believe I'm my mother's mother yeah and I, I it was really interesting you were writing about how you were helping your father get dressed one day after he'd had his stroke yeah. and you both you both tipped over and fell and he started laughing because yeah, it's, it, it was such a ridiculous thing to it was happen. ridiculous yeah it's like you yeah. couldn't believe he couldn't get you know i have to help get him dressed we can't even do it right thank goodness he didn't break a hip or something and he's just looking at me and i'm like feeling like i failed yet again because you do feel that way and remember he couldn't uh uh, talk. He just said, man, 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 because of the stroke. And he just starts laughing and he's pointing at me and him. And I said, yeah, this is really stupid, isn't it? And it was, and kind, of a moment, yeah, and it was kind of a moment where you, you kind of realized that he appreciated what you were, yeah, what you were right. trying it's to do like, for him, right? And he actually had the right attitude. Okay, this is what we have to do. We have to go through it this way. So, all right, dad, take a deep breath, you know, get, and I'm thinking all the stuff they taught me, get your legs into it, lift them back up. Now we're in the chair. Now you lean forward. Here comes the shirt. And it, and just going, this is unbelievable. A lot of times I felt like I was in a movie watching myself in these situations. So, and see, I never had kids. So the first, frankly, diapers I changed were my father's. So that's a weird thing too. And a lot of people, I think that been in that situation. And, you know, I could have called some experts, whatever on that, but I was just kind of interested in the voices of, of folks who are going down that line. And uh, so that's what I ended up uh, doing for faith comp coming up, what they said. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge role adjustment for people. And I think you really captured that and the readers did too. And so look for that Saturday on cleveland.com and it'll be in Sunday's Plain Dealer as usual. Um, hey, Terry, you want to do some Hey Terry questions? You got some from some readers here? Yes. All right. So this comes up on Kevin Stefanski's press conferences sometimes this one's from Jim B and he wants to ask about Stefanski and play calling. Hey, Terry, still a Browns believer here in Columbus, especially of coach Stefanski in the front office, couple of quick observations. The offense needs a spark and a jolt of confidence. Number two, the defense needs discipline and leadership. Note everyone looking at each other after every big play. Given up. <laughs> That's so, so true. It is on defense. Yep. To me, I'd like to see play calling given to coach Van, coach Van Pelt while coach Stefanski spends some time on the defense. I understand that our head coach is an offensive guru and a proven play caller, 
but he's coached the offense up and they will score regardless of who's calling the plays. And the spark I mentioned might be the continuity that seems lacking. The defense needs a lot of help and Stefanski's bright mind could certainly help. doesn't matter if we average 25 plus points a game, if we give up 40. So you were talking before about Stefanski having played defense in college. I don't know. What do you think about Stefanski and the play calling? Should he try and maybe lighten his load a little bit so he can spend more time on the defense or do you think it's too early for that? I mean, I guess you could look at it that way, or do you look at somebody else on the defensive staff? Because in the end, uh, you still need on this team a really strong defensive coordinator. Uh, and I don't think it's – unless Stefanski wants to like, give up play calling an offense and start doing it on defense, uh, I'm not sure you really want to go that direction. So I'm not – I'm interested in finding a really – a good coordinator for the defense, whether Joe Woods can start to put it together or get somebody else. I, I I'm just not hung up on the, on the play calling on offense that much. I'm just not. Yeah. A lot of people are. It's, it's, it's really yeah. interesting to watch. Cause so. it's, it's easier to second guess. It's easier to, you know, as there we go, well, they ought to run it here or they ought to throw a screen pass there on defense. I mean, other than think, well, maybe they ought to blitz, but most people, they don't know what's going on. They're like me. They don't know what's going on with the coverages or anything else either. They just know that these guys are wide open. Well, yeah, it just makes you think like in with the Rams, do people say Sean McVay shouldn't be calling plays? Like if the Rams have a couple of bad weeks, I don't know. It's, it's it, maybe it's a Cleveland thing. I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a desperation thing of a, a city that's used to losing. Yeah. You might be onto that. So, and really fans are very fearful. They had um, a lot of high expectations about the year. And, you know, they the shiny new toy and they're afraid it's broken and it'll never get fixed. And, uh, you know, I'm, they're going to go back to six and 10, you know, or six and 11, whatever it is, 17 games. So just like a reflex response, right? Yeah. All right. Let's go to this next one. This is from David Seed. And he has a question about your favorite defensive coordinator, Terry. He says, hey, Terry, if no change this week, should the Browns replace Joe Woods with Greg Williams, who's not working and knows many of the players and got them to play motivated a few years ago? What do you think of the Greg Williams? Well, he's, he's, certainly, he's certainly available. Or, and you and I chatted about this earlier today, do you go to the Greg Williams, the angel system? Remember the angel yep. system, the deep, deep, deep safety, 30 yards back, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You put him back there and you say, you just keep everything in front of you. And by the way, had they done that, maybe they wouldn't be giving up all these touchdowns. You give up a lot more underneath, but. Your job as the angel would be when you see A.J. Green lost Mike Williams, you go to Mike Williams. In fact, you're probably edging over that side of the field to begin with because the angel should know where the devil is on the other team. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure bringing Greg back, but maybe the angel needs to return to earth. <laughs> It was the Angels in the Outfield movie. We could have Angels yeah, in the yeah. uh, Angels in the football. Yeah, field. Jabril Peppers movie. was the Angel a lot of the time. Yep. All right. This one is from Mike, and he has a question about uh, John Johnson. And he says, "Hey Terry, is John Johnson all pro and starting free free sa- starting safety option? I'm going to start that over. Hey Terry, is John Johnson 
free agent signing, not to mention the anchor of the defense going the same way as supposed game breaker OBJ was supposed to go. Is he a victim of scheme first and talent second? We keep hearing about Joe Woods infatuation with the three safety defense. It has been an utter fiasco with Johnson looking out of place. So Mike, before I butchered his question, was asking, is there any comparison you see between John Johnson and OBJ in terms of being misused in terms of the schemes that the Browns are using? No, because I just felt OBJ was hurt a lot of the time. And OBJ, actually, because he was hurt when he came here from New York. Remember, even though he played every game as his first year here, he never practiced during the season. He was always hurt. Where, as far as I know, Johnson's healthy. So I think it's more a scheme. Now, one possibility was Johnson's good performance with the Rams a product of their scheme with how they handled their safeties and how just how they played, and it made him look better than he is? I don't have the answer to that, but I've been kind of wondering that. Well, I have seen some film analysts this week breaking stuff down and saying that John Johnson is a great fit when you have him playing closer to line of scrimmage, breaking on out routes, and supporting the run. Okay. And that's not what they're, you know, the, we've seen it too deep and guys are getting behind them. So maybe not. I mean, I, it's, it, that might be a great post for us to check into. Yeah, actually that is. And then if not, then, okay, put them up there and put somebody else, maybe not a total angelic position way back there, but get somebody back there. I'm serious. Get somebody back there. You know, the idea of the safety is to keep you safe. <laughs> We, we'll call it be an archangel, right? The art. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, archangel. I, yeah, well, that's probably was Jabril Preppers <laughs> when you're 40 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're the archangel Gabriel back there, but you could be like a normal angel, maybe 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage. I think they would take that at this point. So I All would right. take anything that just stops guys. The problem with, you know, those of us who are amateurs and I always plead guilty to this when I look at the, the tape, I can't find who's supposed to be covering him. He's not in the screen when the guy catches the ball. He's not. And then they do like they like we were just talking about a minute ago. The the DBs are all looking at each other. They are looking at each other. Yeah. So we'll see tomorrow night if that continues. All right. So let's move on. That's those are the Hey Terry questions this week. Thanks for sending those in, everybody. You can hit Terry up on Facebook and submit one, or if you want to email it to us, you can send that into sports at cleveland.com and. We'll get you onto the show if we can uh, make that happen. So, all right, Terry, we always close with Terry's trivia. And all right. I don't know if I'm going to stump you on this one or not. So Case Keenum played high school football in Texas, in Abilene, Texas, won a state championship there, went to the University of Houston, had a huge last season at Houston. And then in the 2012 draft, what happened with Case Keenum? Where was he taken? He wasn't. And I have you are correct, sir, because I remember <laughs> the only reason I know, because I was reviewing his um, his career today before I wrote my column. And I guess somewhere I had heard I'd read some story about him. He always was kind of an underdog in that. And he set all kinds of passing records at Houston. It was supposedly one of those pass friendly systems. Don't get tricked into taking their quarterback. So he, he basically walked on, as they would say, or with the Houston Texans, made it, and has bounced around with a couple teams, the Rams and that, and, uh, and has really made a career for himself, made a lot of money too. But no, he wasn't drafted. Undrafted to $6 million a year, $6 million man. So there you what go. What a country. What I'll a country. You. 
Well, he's ready. He says he's ready. We'll see how the Browns do with him at the helm tomorrow night, Thursday night football. Terry, anything you want to add before we sign off here? I think that's it. All right. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. Have a great weekend. It'll be fun to watch the Cavs. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking. Terry's Talking.